And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Good Sunday afternoon. Welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happelthumper. Good to see you, my friend. Thank you, for, uh, as always, for being there when we need you. And uh, today, our, our guest is going to be uh, Juliet Engel. And uh, Juliet is a, a good friend. We've become good friends over the last couple of years because of our shared concern about what's happening to America, what's happening to the world, and all the things that she's been through have been enormous lessons for me, life lessons, uh, because she has been honest and open enough to talk about those experiences to our audience and to me. And uh, this is a tough deal because uh, Juliet uh, was raised by a CIA family and brought in uh, to the MK Ultra Sex Magic program as a six-year-old girl. And uh, she has quite a story to tell, but as a result of all of her life experiences, when she was a medical doctor, she was asked to go to the former Soviet Union in 1990 to help them with pediatric care and with the hospital system because they were having so many problems with... Uh, uh, stillborns, childbirth, uh, so many things that uh, she was well-trained in. And she was there when the former Soviet Union collapsed and the Russian Federation came in. And she stayed there for nearly 20 years and worked within the Russian Federation and created something called uh, Angels Over Moscow. And the Angels Coalition that she formed has been responsible for saving more than 20,000 uh, young women and children and young adults from the sex slavery that uh, was so prevalent throughout uh, that part of the world. Juliet told me the big problem area in that federation of countries was Ukraine. And the number one recipient of child trafficking and trafficking in general is the United States of America. And it's hard for Americans to get their hands around the idea that the United States has been so 
deeply involved in this sort of thing. But then when you look at how deep the deep state is and how totally awful the uh, the deep state has become, how rotten to the core and how anti-Christian, it's kind of easy to understand exactly how we got to where we at where we're at today. Uh, Juliet, thank you again for being our guest. Uh, the program today is called Freedom is Not a Spectator Sport. We're going to be talking about how important it is for Americans to stand up and be counted in the anti-human trafficking movement and also in uh, bringing down the deep state that wants to destroy humanity as we know it. Uh, Juliet, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Can you hear me okay? Wonderful. Yep. Good. I never know if I had all my right buttons pushed. You got all the good ones. It's working. Uh, okay. All I can say is that uh, what a timely thing. And my my sister, Linda, called me this morning uh, right around noon. And she said, Dan, you need to go to a movie called Sound of Freedom. And I said, well, I was kind of familiar with that. And I was planning on going as soon as it came to the area. She said, well, it's uh, showing in Bozeman at one of the uh, theater complexes there. And she said, you really, really need to go. She offered to uh, buy us tickets, my wife and I tickets to the event. Um, and so I didn't want to do that because my sister lives on very little and works very hard for everything she gets. So um, I went ahead and web went to the website and bought the tickets so that uh, Ingrid can I, and I can go this evening. Uh, this is that one with uh, Jim Caviezel and uh, uh, the... Tim uh, Ballard. Yeah, it's going to be a... I, I believe it's going to be a terrific uh, film to see. I know, I think, Julia, you've already talked about it because I believe you've already seen it, haven't you? I've seen parts of it and and um, I've probably seen most of it. I have saw it when it was being put together. And I'm just, I'm thrilled they did this. And and uh, of course, this is one piece to the solution, but it's a key piece because until you get the alpha males in a society willing to go out there and work on the problem, nothing's going to happen. This has been true in every country I've worked on, on anti-trafficking. It's when the, the tough guys, the alpha males, the veterans, the people in service, the first responders, the males, when they get involved, then it starts to move. And and um, so I'm, I'm thrilled. If this inspires the, the nation of men to stand up and say, hey, this is enough, then, then we can get going on the rest of it. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, that's kind of why I wrote the uh, newsletter that I did is talking about the, the uh, uh, television junkies, the sports junkies, and how they like to sit and eat their uh, potato chips and drink their beer and watch others work hard at being excellent in sports. And those alpha males have given up a lot of their position in society just through leisure, just through sheer laziness. And the time for that is gone. The time for that has passed. It's time for Americans to not only wake up, but wake up and stand up and uh, start fighting back. And this is one of these areas that needs to be 
attacked. And so, uh, Julian, I, I, I'd like to start this conversation uh, very, very briefly. Tell our listeners again about how you ended up in uh, Soviet Union as a medical doctor. You were asked to go there to help uh, with the uh, pediatrics hospitals and uh, how that all evolved and then how you got involved with the human trafficking. Sure, and then how we can apply that here. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did survive MKUltra. I escaped from that life and um, went off on my own and worked my way through college and medical school and became an MD in Seattle, Washington. Wasn't that easy, wasn't that fast, but that's the quick version. Um, I became a specialist in uh, pediatric ultrasound. I was a radiologist, still am a radiologist. And um, I was invited when the Iron Curtain first started to go down, when there was the opening, the perestroika of the Soviet Union to the West, I was one of the first doctors invited. This would be in January of 1990 to go to Moscow and actually go into the the birthing hospitals where there was a tremendous problem, lack of supplies, lack of knowledge, lack of, of patient care, uh, a whole approach to childbirth, which was more like punishment than, than, uh, than uh, health care. We're starting to see that here. Um, and I went into the maternity hospitals where uh, children were, I mean, I, it's in my book, Angels Over Moscow, but it's, it's a, uh, the descriptions of the, the the horrors of birthing and what was done to newborns and how uh, every child was uh, right after birth was separated from their mother for two hours, put on opposite sides of a dark corridor. And if one of them died, it was a complication of pregnancy, not a complication of delivery. So um, they wouldn't give either one of them any help. And of course, that's, that's when all the bad stuff happens is those first two hours. And, uh, so it was just a the it was healthcare by bureaucracy rather than healthcare for the benefit of the patients and the children. So I went right to work. I, I couldn't leave it alone. Couldn't stop. Couldn't couldn't um, let this happen. And and at that time, our hospitals in Seattle were absolutely wonderful. I mean, just just uh, patient oriented. Had all the equipment, uh, the best of technology. So in my mind, at least, they were the best, the best of the best. So I started bringing doctors over to Russia. I started bringing Russian doctors over to the U.S. Got very, very involved in the whole healthcare reform, maternal infant healthcare reform, which has continued, and now theirs is improving as ours is sinking, and and. Um, began discovering that children were being given up at birth for things like red hair or uh, a malformed toe or a cleft lip or I- any excuse, a mole. Uh, children were being given away and turned over to this enormous orphanage system. And at that time, they told me there were 800,000 children growing up in orphanages. And the Russian population was was 135 million, I think, at that time. So, I mean, that's a significant nearly a million kids in the street and in orphanages. That's that's a large percent of their population of children. In fact, something like 20%. And um, so I started tracing out what was happening with those children. And and because uh, that, that was a, they, they were sent out of the city so people couldn't see them. So they were growing up in these tiny little communities all up and down the Volga River. So I went there, went to the different 
orphanages and started a tourist program so we could bring aid to the orphanages. And that led to a lot of good interaction and donations to help kids. And so um, I started Miramed Institute, which means in Russian, miracle medicine or peace medicine, really mirrors peace. Um, and, and discovered that, uh, okay, so they're in the orphanages. What happens to them there? Well, I was taking a bunch of winter supplies up to an orphanage on the Finnish border in uh, Karelia. And uh, I'd spent the summer, a chunk of the summer there with all the kids in the orphanages we were building building things and growing gardens and, and doing, doing camping and stuff. And so I had clothes for the winter clothes for the kids in the orphanages. But when I got to the orphanage with all these clothes, there were 15 teenage girls missing. And no one would tell me where they were, or where they'd gone. And, and I eventually got it out of the kids that a bus had come from Finland and the bus came every couple of years and took all the teenage girls away. And they were going off for a better life, you know, in the West. And, and uh, that didn't seem right. So I went and talked to the head of the police at the next town, which was Lodinopoli. And I uh, said, yeah, they, they come because these girls want to be prostitutes. Uh, no, no, that's not the girls I knew. They didn't want to be prostitutes. The kids, they were between 12 and 15. And uh, so I couldn't let that go. So I follow, eventually followed the bus up to Murmansk and then took a bus from Murmansk to um, Kirkenes, Norway. So there is a bus four hours from, Kirken from Murmansk to Kirkenes on this bus full of little Sami people who are smuggling cigarettes, but that's another story. <laughs> and I got to Kirkenes and I went to the police and I said, you know, I had pictures of kids, I had their passports, I had all their information. I said, these kids are missing. They came on a bus, they came through Finland, they, they uh, found their way up to uh, Murmansk and across the border into Norway. And so the guy pulled out a drawer and in the drawer was a box full of headshots and it was all Polaroid pictures. But I looked carefully at these pictures and they were all faces of dead children. And um, they said, can you find, you know, are they in there? And uh, I got really upset and couldn't look and uh, left, came back the next day. And then they denied the picture existed, but I didn't let that go. And, and after back and forth and back and forth, they uh, showed me pictures of the graveyard where they bury all the children and because they don't know who they are. They call them all Natasha. So it's Natasha's graveyard. And there are several of these uh, in Norway, Sweden, Finland, where these kids are, are taken and, and dumped. And uh, I never did find out what happened to those girls. But I wasn't going to let that go because, I mean, their children are helpless. Mm -hmm. Our children are helpless. These children coming over the Mexican border are being shipped in here. They're helpless. They have they have no one to protect them, nothing to keep people from throwing them in a wood chipper. I mean, there's there's no protection. And these children were had were voiceless, but I wasn't. So I started digging into what was happening, where the kids, how many kids were being taken from orphanages, how big was this problem? Was this all over? Uh, Russia was all over the uh, former Soviet Union. So 
make a long story short, after about a year, we'd organized a chat room from Vladivostok all the way to Kaliningrad. So it's 11 time zones of chat room. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a huge thing because most of these people that participated didn't even have a telephone. So they had to like travel a couple hours on a bus to go to a, a school or a university where actually the Soros had hardwired internet into the universities. This was back in like 1994-95, and we were allowed to use them. So um, I, I didn't know how many people were going to come. I didn't know if anybody would do this. They also we'd also send out questionnaires, but the post you couldn't use the post. So um, it went out on trains and it went out in cars, and people carried them, and we got about a thousand questionnaires out. And by the time it was done, we'd had over 2,500 groups participate going across 11 time zones. And we got back uh, about 4,000 questionnaires. So they'd copied them and sent them back. And they sent them back by bus, by train. A watermelon truck was the last one, brought them in from, (laughs) from from Georgia and gave us a free watermelon. And every one of them returned all the number two pencils because we'd sent them out with number two pencils, they returned them. And uh, what we got was a huge amount of data. And it was like, it was a very complex questionnaire. It was done by the Forum Foundation in Seattle. They did a terrific job. And we saw a massive human trafficking going on in every reach of Russian Federation and all 15 republics that participated because most, most of the former Soviet Union participated in the study. And and it was enough to take it to the Russian parliament, and they began the first draft law on uh, prevention of human trafficking and, and absolute prevention of child trafficking. And there was a big debate going on about setting the age of consent for children. And of course, you had the Soros groups in there saying there should be no consent age. And the American embassy was backing that. And... and um, uh, so anyway, long another another series of of battles. But um, what we did find out was that we'd also asked where where were the people being trafficked to, expecting it would be you know the Middle East, Iran, you know, Iraq, the the, the villains in the American story. But no, uh, uh, the two most common countries were Germany and uh, the United States, and. Uh, we could tell they included information about who the traffickers were, uh, what cities they were going to. Of course, couldn't know if that was accurate or not, but I mean, there was definitely a pattern. And they were going to New York City and they were going to Virginia Beach. Hmm. And I've subsequently followed up with law enforcement in both those places. And eventually they, they uh, acknowledged that they were going to Brighton Beach and they were going to Virginia Beach. There was a huge trafficking ring in Virginia Beach, still is. Hmm. And uh, that was the beginning of my conflict with both the American Embassy and the State Department because they didn't want to know that. They didn't want to hear it. We, we were, I was then being funded by the Trafficking in Persons Office of the State Department. And they put out a report every year which puts the United States as the number one example of the finest country with the lowest trafficking and the best laws and the best law enforcement and the shining beacon. And we're going, wait a minute, yeah. uh, you don't have any clothes on here. This this is uh, the United States is clearly, clearly involved 
and at least you have to look at this, but they did they didn't want to look at it. So I think I think a lot of these agencies exist just to produce the glossy report with the pretty pictures. You know, UNICEF is like that. Mm-hmm. You, you try to do something with UNICEF, UNICEF promotes UNICEF and that's it. And uh they come to your organization, they take the glossy photos, they they get your information, they take your techniques, they walk off with your books, and that's the last you see of them until you appear in their report, looking like they actually, you know, support you, but they don't. So I think a lot of it's suppression. And uh, so that's, that's uh, I realized that top down, you're not going to get anything done about children. You're not going to get anything done. If you aren't strong enough to scream for yourself, you're not going to get any attention. So uh, if anybody was going to start protecting these children, it was going to have to be not the top, but the, the people, the communities who had power in their communities. So um, I, I, came up with a design for a coalition of organizations. Now, these organizations in Russia did not exist yet. I mean, civil society was just in its barest beginning, and this was in 1999. And I got support from the U.S. Information Agency before it became part of USAID to call together the groups that I thought had the potential for creating a coalition of organizations to fight human trafficking. And we did that in 1999. And... uh, was right in the middle of the Chechen war. There was all kinds of terrorist threats in Moscow. So, so we thought it'd be safer to go to Kiev. So myself and uh, 30 Russian who, who's, who have become leading civil rights activists since that time, took a train to Kiev and uh, trained and created, uh, worked with the La Strada, an organization there, who was doing good work with uh, countering human trafficking and created the Angel Coalition. And then after that, it grew to this uh, ever-increasing international organization, which eventually, over the course of the next 10 years, we had a headquarters in Moscow. We established international helplines. We started working and training with the police in uh, 16 different countries the, in, in that, that region. <clears throat> we, we trained uh, like 300 Russian police every month all over Russia on human trafficking, prevention of human trafficking. And in the 10 years before I had to leave, because we had crossed paths with the wrong people, um, uh, we actually were responsible for rescuing 70,000 people. Mm-hmm. And we did that. It wasn't us. It was the, the collaboration. We'd get a trafficking victim, would call on the helpline. We'd be able to call the local police to get that girl or child picked up and helped and keep on the line speaking to her in Russian saying, okay, when the police come, show them where you came from, show them who took you and they'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. And uh, they, uh, they invariably did. And so we would get, instead of we'd get one, we'd get a hundred because there would be a brothel be full of girls from all over the world. And so that was extremely successful. And because it was very successful, then, uh, we got a lot of blowback from organized crime, but we had tremendous support from the Russian government. Not money, but, but I mean, anything we needed. Uh, they were eager to help. And so, that was, was that, uh, 
Was that under Putin? Was Putin in charge then? Yes, he came mm -hmm. to power in 1999-2000, so mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So he was supportive of that uh, ANGELS program and supportive of stopping human trafficking. Yes, as were like Mayor Lubchov, Lushkov, who was uh, at, actually much more powerful than Putin. The mayor of Moscow was, mm. at that time was the most powerful person in Russia. So uh, we had his blessing and his help in getting mm. places to set up shelters and programs and doing broadcasts in Moscow. We had our materials advertising the helpline on every bus, every subway, every um, billboard going to the airport. That was all paid for by the city of Moscow. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was million dollars, millions of dollars of support. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's but, interesting. That's wanted... interesting because um, we just recently, I know that uh, I believe the UN and the the World Court uh, have declared uh, Putin a, a, a threat to humanity, uh, a war criminal, and said that he was involved in all the human trafficking, trying to uh, steal children out of Ukraine uh, uh, for uh, part of the sex trafficking network. I'd, I'd like to get your opinion of that. Well, they when they first, when the Russians first went into Kharkiv, they, they sent a force of about 90,000 troops into Ukraine. Ukraine is legally part of Russia. It never became an independent country. It never filed its paperwork. It had a lot of reasons for that, mostly about uh, not wanting to pay its debts. And in, so in 1991, when all the different republics became countries, Ukraine didn't. So by default, it remained part of the Russian Federation. So the Russians thought they would send you know, a, a group in there to stop the shelling and the murder and the genocide of the Russians living in the uh, Donetsk, Luhansk, Kharkiv, uh, Crimea, and uh, the, the, they call them the breakaway republics, but actually they've always been part of Russia. So when they went into Kharkiv, they went into Lugansk. Those areas have been um, sites of, of medical experimental laboratories since the um, since long before the fall of the Soviet Union, these were labs where all the medications and all the exper medical experimentation for the former Soviet Union took place. So these were centers where atomic research was done and human experimentation was done and, and uh, medications were developed. And, and when the Soviet Union fell apart, part of the problem with the medical establishment was that they were cut off from Ukraine and uh, weren't making the medications anymore. So, um, but when they went in there, they found the tunnels where the trafficked children were and where they were, had been separated from their parents. Uh, uh, I don't know all the details exactly who they are, but they took the children out of the uh, the places where they considered them to be extreme risk. They took them out of the war zones and brought them to Russia because they these were trafficked children. So they needed to sort out who they were, where their parents were, if their parents were alive. And so I think that amounted to, you know, hundreds, like a hundred thousand children were taken 
into Russia and put into the orphanage systems so they could sort them out. So I, it, they weren't sold into trafficking. You know, it was not an optimal situation. Those orphanages are not where any anyone would want to be, but they, they're the best they could do. So, mm-hmm. I mean, but that's... They were trying to get them out of a uh, human trafficking situation and bring them back away from that, then, is that, what you're saying. Yes, that and human experimentation. They found labs where... Uh, fetuses and children were being cut up and the organs were being harvested. And that's, that's a big business for Ukraine. So um, they came into that when they, they knew they were going to go into that. They did a lot of psychological preparation and training, you know, for their uh, troops for when they went into the tunnels, particularly under Kharkiv. Kharkiv has a, uh, had underground laboratories, underground bomb shelters. It has a nuclear development facility. And the Russians were going to bomb all of it. And they did. They left nothing but a, a huge crater. But they had to get all the, the children, all the uh, information out of the labs. They had to take a bunch of the scientists so they could find out what was going on there. They captured several Americans. And um, mm. and then they don't talk about it. Well, they do because they they have issued all of this. All this information is available through the uh, the uh, foreign Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, website. So that's that's where I get this information, mm-hmm. and and gradually they're filtering through it. They're they're redacting some things and they are translating it into English. But it, it will all be available through the United Nations. Mm. Well, and a, um, and a lot of it is a lot of it's they they report on it every week, and we well, don't listen. We, we knew that um, I had uh, Paul Craig Roberts on my program all oh, seven seven years, maybe eight years ago, and he was came on to report that DOD and DARPA and uh, our intelligence communities had been creating labs in Ukraine that were there specifically to create bioweapons, and he reported on uh, the collection of DNA from cemeteries, from various sources around uh, the Russian Federation to target specifically Slavic Russian people. And he, he said that if that were allowed to continue, that it would lead to World War III. Now, this is uh, Paul Craig Roberts, who was uh, Reagan's, uh, the father of Reaganomics, he was Reagan's number two man at the U.S. Treasury during his administration, and a very, very highly regarded uh, uh, gentleman, very smart, an economist, uh, and he came on to report that. Uh, Juliet, that was a number of years before I met you, and then you reconfirmed that very uh, comment, that very statement, because you said it was common knowledge that that was going on um, by people in Russia, by people in Ukraine, they knew that was going on. Yes, and the Russians publish it on their their uh, websites and release it through their through their mission to the UN. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in two thousand five, uh, a lab opened in Tbilisi, Georgia named after Luger, was he a senator, I think? Mm-hmm. And and uh, it's a bioweapons laboratory. So, I mean, the, this was not um, 
This was not secret. And the Americans and Department of Defense were involved was not secret either. So of course the Russians raided that whole underground complex and destroyed it. But it was much worse when they got in there. It was, what they found was much, much worse than they expected. And uh, I think there are reports going to be coming out soon on the adrenochrome, using, using children to produce adrenochrome, and then smuggling it into the United States. Uh, maybe so, explain uh, that a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, uh, Julia, for those of us that aren't uh, medically savvy. Well, adrenochrome is... is Excuse me. I find, I find these very upsetting. I, I don't understand these people or how they can do this, but I know that they do, and I know that we have to face them. It's facing evil, and evil doesn't go away till you face it. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's extracting from the pituitary glands of children uh an enhanced hormone called adrenochrome, which is produced when they're terrified and in terrible pain. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I think it's done with uh, uh, missing immigrant children. There's 85,000 children under the Biden administration who have come across the U.S. border. No one knows where they are, if they're alive, if they're dead, if if uh, they've been used for, uh, I can't say because I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have been asked by uh, some grand juries to look at photographs of children's bodies and say if this is consistent with satanic ritual abuse, which terrifies them, and then adrenochrome extraction. And I've I've seen evidence of that. Um, and this was, according to the Russian Ministry of Defense, they discovered this was happening uh, underneath the laboratories in, in Kharkiv and Lepansk. And they destroyed it. After, but they they have the information. They have the data. They they've captured the DNA. Now they have it. So I mean, it's it's um, <laughs> no one should have it. No, <laughs> you know? no. It's it's uh, we're doing things that that should not be done by anybody. So good guys, bad guys, just leave God's children alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what adrenochrome is, and it, and when taken, it it uh, has very powerful youth giving properties. And when you read about like the the, the Babylonians and the, the Ninevans and the, uh, they understood that that drinking blood from sacrificed children produced youth, you know, rejuvenated youth. So they're probably talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard but, to con- conceive of, of such evil, isn't it? It is, and that's why it, that's why it thrives. You know, people would rather sit down and watch a football game than spend their weekend confronting evil. But we're past that, and and I hope I hope this film inspires. You know, gets the gets the dander up in in the men in the community. It has to be the men. It has to be the alphas that get up and say, "No, nah, this is enough. We're not doing this anymore." And then form the framework because. You know, we have our roles. Genders have their functions. We have our strengths and weaknesses, and uh, we have to work together instead of against each other. That's sure true enough. Well, you know, you mentioned how uh, how alpha males need to stand up, but I'm astounded how many more alpha females there are 
than alpha males anymore. And that's a, that's a depressing thought. There are so few men uh, with a real backbone anymore. When you run across one, it's more the exception than the rule. That's a terrifying, terrifying mm -hmm. thought. I think there's been a concentrated effort to destroy the alpha males in our society. I mean, mm -hmm. look at the way veterans are treated and, and the way they were, you know, they should be honored. I mean, these, these, what we have 8 million veterans in this mm -hmm. country, you know, we should be leaning on them for a lot and counting on them for a lot. Instead, they're, they're marginalized and pushed to the side, disrespected. It's all wrong. It's it all is. wrong. So it is. I, and and I think that that's a huge part of the transgender, um, you know, I, I guess I would call it a sissification movement is uh, to reduce the role that men play in families and then societies and to marginalize that because in doing that, you can destroy society. Yes, and dying societies become feminized societies. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work. No. So this movie, I mean, there's two alpha guys going through hell to get this thing made and get it out there. So I'm hoping that wakes up, that wakes people up. Well, By people, I mean men. Obviously, um, the, they, since you were, uh, you've done previews, you've been part of the, uh, I, I guess I would guess uh, early editing and things like that of this movie, you know, they they were aware of your role in the Angel Coalition and you, you've been part of that whole process. But tell us a little bit now about uh, uh, the fact that the United States is one of the, if not the most heavily trafficked areas uh, the most trafficked areas, I would say, and how this all works in with what we're seeing with the uh, the deep state criminalization of anybody that stands up against the deep state. I mean, this is all obviously tied together. I really want your perspective on all that. Well, I wish I had a bigger brain because, as you say, all these things are connected. Mm -hmm. And there are parts that, moving parts in all this that we don't know yet, or I don't know yet. And and uh, things, things become apparent. But if you try to think in the box of the information that's give, given to us through television and Internet, and even the restrictions of our own language and our use of language and and uh for instance uh, i sent you a, a quote earlier today i don't know if you saw it but mm -hmm. it was by bon bonhoeffer on cheap grace i look at that you know cheap grace is the grace we give ourselves mm -hmm. it, it's grace it's it's Honor forgiveness yeah mm -hmm. forgiveness without repentance and and uh now I'm forgetting what it, what it said, but it was mm -hmm. it's it's the attitude of the American churches, the Western churches. You can show up in a reindeer costume to supposedly worship God, and then and then you've earned your place in in the um, rapture or what, whatever. You can jump around in bare feet and blue jeans and make strange noises, and 
No, you can't. You, you have to earn your, your place. You have to, you can't just sit and watch television and earn grace. You can't get someone else's grace. Yes, grace is given to us, but um, that's cheap, cheap grace when we give it to ourselves. So I, I think in that is the key, that every individual has to wake up, bear their own responsibility, seek their own repentance, examine their own souls, go through their own tribulation. And now I'm rediscovering Puritanism as I'm saying this. The idea that that uh, you are a stranger until you've been through the wilderness, until you've been through uh, the tribulation and trials, and then you become what they call the saint. But um, we're not there. We're not there at all. And and the church is going the other way. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's going the other way. It's mm -hmm. and and you read. I keep going back to the first four verses of Revelation where. Jesus slams tolerance and says that, that, that tolerance of evil, you cannot tolerate evil in your midst. And he condemns the Laodatians for being lukewarm. You know, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. Mm -hmm. So you mean nothing. So I spit you out. And uh, he calls Pergamon the seat of Satan, practicing the, the practices of the Nicolaitans. But we practice the practices of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans uh, worship Nimrod, who was born on December 25th. Christ wasn't. Nimrod was. The demon Nimrod was represented by pine trees because when he died and his mother went looking for him, he was murdered. Uh, she found pines sprouting, sprouting from his body, so she took the pine into her house. So we take a Christmas tree into our house and celebrate the demon Nimrod. And but are you ever going to get that stopped in this country? I don't. I, I can't imagine. I doubt it. Mm -hmm. It's like Jonah going to Nineveh and saying, "Speak against their practices," and goes, "But they'll kill me." So what are we supposed to do? Go out and say, "Christmas is all wrong." Mm -hmm. How will that go over? But we went. We went. I I was watching uh, all through the Christmas season. It was Santa, 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 which is Satan, Satan, Satan. Not a word about Christ, not a single Christian story on, on network, Netflix, Netflix or uh, Amazon or any of the, the specials. Not one. There's nothing. And when there was something, it was the lukewarm uh, stories about the good witches, you know, this kind of thing. But <laughs> no, that's not good either. Mm -hmm. Obviously so, it's not. So the idea that, that God's going to come down and save us is... Uh, not from what I can see. Now, I was not raised in the Christian church, so all of my my uh, learning has come later. And uh, which means it's worthwhile because I think a lot of people who are raised in the church might be considered part of those lukewarm ones that have always participated but never really, really been involved. And I know where you're going with this conversation is why it's so important that people get up and be part of a totally different movement to free the people of the world and let us live under God's law. Yes, and I think that 
rallying the people around child trafficking, which is something that as a people, as the American people, we can stop it. Mm -hmm. We can stop it in our, in our communities. We can stop it um, in our states. We can stop it without federal intervention or federal money, which is a freaking disaster. So you don't want that anyway. Um, private citizens can do this. You know, we can do this on a grass, grassroots level. And that way, start to earn that grace instead mm -hmm. of the cheap grace that uh, we get over the television set. You know, that doesn't count. Well, uh, Juliet, let's, let's get into this because I know it's a subject near and dear to your heart. Um, part of the reason that they're doing all this transgenderism and all this, um, uh, I guess I would call it disassembly of traditional values in society, is to create that kind of a cheap uh, redemption, that, that kind of a, uh, where, where more people will accept just about anything as being normal, and therein you can uh, stifle any efforts to expose how evil this stuff really is, because you can just say, well, that person's a hater. That person uh, is exposing this, but they're haters. They're, they're uh, radical right-wing extremists. They're these crazy evangelical Christians. They're all these, these haters. And we're the lovers. We're the ones that want everything to be uh, wonderful and everybody get along. Everything's gonna be fine. And in fact, what they're doing is they're creating a debauched society where they can get away with anything. Yes, and here's and back to Russia and Ukraine. Here's the story of the liberal Soros-backed carpetbaggers coming into both countries and preaching liberal democracy. And honestly, it's, I spent a lot of time in the government circles in both those countries. And they were everywhere with literally suitcases full of money, you know, offering anything. If, if you, if you uh, hand out free condoms, if you teach the people that, that free sex is, is just fine, you can have sex with anybody and handing out glossy commercials to show on television about how you, how you pick up, uh, this, this uh, woman is, picked up by a policeman and they have sex at the car, but she goes, Oh, got to use one of these, you know? So, I mean, this was American made stuff that, that was being released in Ukraine and in Russia. And um, the difference is that Ukraine soaked it up. I would say Ukraine, um, a lot of people in Ukraine are, are Catholic, they're Polish. They consider themselves more West, whereas the Russians consider themselves more Slavic, although it's a many, many different ethnic groups, predominantly Slavic. Ukrainian people are, are more, consider themselves more Polish and more enlightened. And, uh, but they, they took it in. I, I say as, as, uh, as a people, they put themselves out there as, as much more advanced over Russia because they were supporting sex work. They were supporting free love. They were supporting... Uh, the presence of the Department of Defense starting biolabs, whereas Russia said, "Oh no, no way! You're not, you're not doing that." And Russia 
went through the similar twists and turns because a lot of the a lot of money rolled in and it bought a lot of politicians and um I got to be there in the parliament and in meetings of the mayor's council and the council of ministers and these things, because they would ask me what I think. And uh, of course I'd tell them what I thought that it was a terrible idea. And uh, if it had some influence then I'm really proud of it, but Russia went the other way. Russia said, no, we, we're going to focus on family values. So first, first they came up with the idea that they would punish any family that didn't have more than one child. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> No, no, you reward families for having three children. They went with that. And they're doing that. And and um, so they, they took a very different path. And um, they decided that that they, did, they didn't want a debauched society. It, society was debauched. I mean, it was it was quite a mess. But uh, the Orthodox Church has tremendous influence in uh, in Russia and it it was an influence that was growing and growing and growing. And they had very good connections uh, with um, non-woke non churches um, in Europe. And uh, so religion began to play more and more of a part in a positive way. But Ukraine, it was the religion of tolerance. So uh, in Russia, it was strict orthodoxy. Russians are very precise. I know you won't think this, but a, a contract is a contract, and they follow them to the letter. And you you see that with the with the way the war or the as they call it the a special operation in Ukraine is going. They agree to do something in a certain way, and they do it. You know, you might die doing it, but they're going to do it. And uh, Ukraine is much more liberal in its in its whole outlook. Um, well, you said so, something so, important um, to me many times, and that is that the Russian people are uh, afraid that America has lost its soul. Maybe explain what you mean by that, because I think that give, would give people a much different perception of uh, Russia as a villain uh, rather than being a, a hero, because they are, in fact, uh, trying to do good things, and uh, they're being cast as villains uh, in in this uh, this whole mess that's going on in Ukraine. Talk a little bit about how the church has become a much stronger uh, entity in Russia, in the Russian Federation, after the fall of communism, obviously communism was anti-Christian, anti-church. Uh, communism considers themselves the church, and that's the direction we're going with all these uh, crazy globalists and uh, all the Marxists that are embedded in our government. Yes, and a lot of them, in fact, a very high percentage of them have direct family connections to Ukraine. So you you have you have very recent immigration within the last hundred years of Ukrainians with with uh, uh, the Bolshevik background um, coming to the United States. They're now in our government, and. Uh, so of course they're going to vilify Russia. That's the group that that has hated the Slavs. I mean, the, the the Russians and the Ukrainians have been at this 
for at least a thousand years, it's documented. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, they get along well and they intermarry and they're, you've got all the Ukrainians have Russian blood, the Russians have Ukrainian blood, and then they clash. And it's happened over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's happening now, but you've got the family members in the United States government uh, in control of the Department of Defense. So they're, of course, pouring money in Ukraine, which is creating just a, a, a cat- catastrophe in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And Russia could go in and, and wipe the whole thing out, but they don't want to because they don't want to have to manage Ukraine. They don't want to have to control Ukraine. And it was actually the the irresponsibility. This is going to get me on all kinds of lists, but the financial irresponsibility of Ukraine, which brought down the former Soviet Union. This is how the Russians tell it. Uh, their debts were so huge and their, their inability to pay and their graft and their corruption and their stealing was uh, so bad that it bankrupted this former Soviet Union. They probably tell it differently. But um, so this conflict has existed for a very long time. And we've just we've just created a monster by by pouring fuel on a fire that didn't need to be lit. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. Well, is entirely responsible for this. Really? And, really? And, um, let's, I mean, they, talk, they started... let's talk about the fact that uh, Ukraine, and you, you have a lot of knowledge on this, but the fact that Ukraine refused, they, they had the opportunity to separate themselves from uh, the former Soviet Union, but chose not to because of their enormous debt that they wanted the Russian Federation to assume. Explain that a little bit, because I think a lot of people have difficulty understanding that Ukraine is not a sovereign nation unto itself. Uh, No, no. the very name Ukraine means the edge, the borderlands. And and uh, that edge, which is Western Ukraine, was created uh, during the Tsar's time as he was sending Cossacks and and uh, farmers. He was giving the he was giving the soldier class lands in that area if they could control the Ukrainians and and uh, you know keep keep them from attacking Russia and keep peace in that area. Of course, the the, the native Ukrainians that were there hated them. And um, when Soviet Union fell apart, those those Kulak farmers that were feeding all of Ukraine uh, were driven from their lands. The lands were burned and everybody starved. I mean, everybody lost. It was a terrible thing. And now the Kulaks are coming back. The, um... But yeah, okay, we'll skip to 1991. Well, Khrushchev redrew the borders of the former Soviet Union, sort of the the story is he did it at a drunken party, and uh, uh, he didn't know where Donetsk, Luhansk, Crimea, where they should go. They, they've always been Russian territories. They're populated by Russians, uh, and uh, they speak Russian, and so he drew a line and gave them to Ukraine, which didn't matter so much when it was uh, all under the Soviet Union, but when it broke apart. They wanted to be part of Russia. And that left just the Western Ukraine, the edge. And uh, 
1991, when the Soviet Union broke apart and the countries registered as countries, which gave them rights, gave them they they registered constitutions. So there's mm-hmm. there's quite a lengthy a lengthy process, and Russia went the Russian Federation went through that because it was the largest. It was the default. Ukraine did not ever turn in their paperwork. They were asked to again in 1996 and again in 1999. They didn't do it. And the reason they didn't do it is that they had huge debts and they wanted to stick them on Russia because because they didn't break apart. They're legally part of Russia. And that's why UN troops cannot go in there. That's why America has not invaded. That's why uh, it's not called a war except by ignorant press. It's not a war. It's an internal operation of the Russian Federation. And the other big reason that Ukraine did not want to become a separate country was that the, they, they have no oil and gas. So all this stuff with Burisma and all this, this is graft. This is not, this is nothing to do with natural resources in Ukraine. That edge, the Western Ukraine is farmland, but the Russian pipeline had to run Russia was supplying Europe with like 40% of the gas. In mm-hmm. in Germany's case, it's almost 50% of their of their energy came from Russia. And the only way to get it there was a pipeline across Ukraine. But the Ukrainians kept stealing the gas. They'd steal the gas and and then send it to Bulgaria, have it sent back to Ukraine, then send it to Germany for twice the price. And Germany would go to Russia and say, hey, we didn't get our gas. And Russia would say, we sent it. And the Ukrainians would say, hey, we'll sell you this gas. And, mm-hmm. and this went on for years and years and years. It was, it was, um, and then after a while, the, Rus- the Russians gave Ukraine a very cheap price. So they would, they would steal the Russian gas at a very cheap price and then mark it up and sell it on to Europe. So that, that was Burisma. That was, that's what uh, Hunter Biden was was supposed to keep in place. Is this is this billion dollars a month that came through on the Russian gas pipelines to Europe? Yeah. So when when Russia built the Nord Stream, they built the South Stream through Turkey. They built the North Stream, which was going to go directly to Germany. So then Ukraine couldn't steal any gas. You know, they'd go broke. All they have to they have to actually work and grow food. Um, so the Nord Stream was just about to open and just starting to deliver gas directly to Germany. Of course, Ukraine, with the backing of their connections through the Department of Defense, blew up the pipeline. And that took it back to the gas having to be delivered then through Ukraine again. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the corruption is colossal. And uh, um, but it, and Ukraine still hasn't registered as a country. And right. I'm not sure there's going to be a country left because something like 12 million people have already left during the course of this, of this special operation. Everyone that isn't Russian in the regions of Donetsk, Luhansk, and uh, Kharkiv, and the other one, there's two more, um, have left. Uh, if they aren't Russian-speaking, they've already moved into the Western part or they've immigrated out of the country. Uh, Eastern Europe and France and Germany are awash with Ukrainian refugees who expect to have benefits since it's really NATO that destroyed their country. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a colossal mess. 
you know, uh, Juliet, that's a, that's something that maybe you could uh, help me figure out. How in the world could we possibly think that we could put NATO into Ukraine if Ukraine was still part of the Russian Federation? I mean, that is absolute insanity. That's like say, uh, telling uh, Texas, uh, the state of Texas, that uh, uh, you know now are going to have to be part of Mexico, and we're going to send, um, you know, the Chinese Federation in to provide missile protection. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. No, it only makes sense if if you have fanatics who are determined to destroy Russians. And that's what you get. I mean, do you hear that conversation between Zelensky and Lindsey Graham, where uh, Lindsey Graham says, oh, yeah, well, you'll be killing Russians, and that'll be the best money we've ever spent. You know, mm -hmm. that made the Russians mm -hmm. furious. So now he's he's on their persona non grata list. Mm -hmm. Well, he's on a lot of people's persona non grata <laughs> yeah, list. Yeah, mine. I, I, I love the... Uh... When uh, Trump was down there uh, in uh, South Carolina at a rally about a week ago, and Lindsey Graham was apparently somewhere down in the audience or, you know, in seating there somewhere, and he made a couple of really, really clever uh, snide remarks uh, targeted to Lindsey Graham. I, you know, what a, what a piece of work these people are, these deep state insiders. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. Well, they care only about about themselves, and then you and then you have the political fanatics. You have the Nazis, this this festering wound that's been going on since the time of the Bolsheviks, and has has infected our our uh, our White House, our Department of Defense, our uh, government, our State Department, uh, who will fight to the death to to. Uh, destroy Russia, which doesn't make any sense at all. And and Russia, having lived there all this time, would rather be us. They don't want to destroy us. They want to do business with us. And mm -hmm. they really consider themselves more like us than like China. So they've had to get closer to China. They've always been close to China. It's, it's on their border. <laughs> They're a huge trading partner. I can go all over China and speak Russian. And, and um, uh, but they wanted to be Western. They are Western. They considered they helped us during the revolution. They helped us during the Civil War. Um, why? What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us is you've got these fanatic Ukrainian Bolsheviks who've seized power in Washington and and NATO and are forcing beating a dead horse because that edge of Ukraine they've they've got three hundred fifty thousand dead from this war and they're losing in the first weeks of the counteroffensive, their own reports are that they've lost 13,000 soldiers trying to even get to the first line of defense of uh, the Russian troops. And Russian Russia only had that small expeditionary force, plus um, the Wagner battalion, plus the Chechens. You, you don't hear about them, but they are fierce. So they've got like 40,000 Chechens. Uh, 90,000 Wagnerians who are now in Belarus, which is, so they flanked that, that Western Ukraine edge. Don't hear about that, but they're sitting there. They could invade it at any time. 
And you've got the regular Russian army, which is now up to speed and fully equipped with better equipment than NATO has. And they've spent years, I've watched them doing this. They've spent years with developing sophisticated weapons blockers. So they can block any satellite. They can, they, they, I don't even know if you heard about this, but the, the uh, United States launched a ship, the Admiral Cook, I think it was called, brand new destroyer, I believe. Russians mm -hmm. flew over it, disabled it, ended fried every electronic, left it dead in the water, and it had to be towed back to port. Yeah, I remember that. They didn't they didn't report on it much, but I that was about <laughs> what, a month and a half or two months ago, I think. Well it was it was longer ago than that, because I think uh it was a few years ago. Oh but they've okay. done it. They've done different. it. Oh they did it again though. They did yeah. it in the it's Black just Sea. Been a couple yeah. Of, yeah, in the Black Sea. They had a um, they overflew a, a U.S. Mm -hmm. destroyer and disabled it. Yeah, but, they can do that. Mm -hmm. So they have completely disabled all the air defenses of Ukraine. So they can they can bomb, they can target, they can long range send long range missiles. They they could end this in a few days, mm -hmm. wipe it out. But they don't want to because they don't want to be back in that old position of having to control that that population. And uh, they'd rather be at peace, but they're not going to let NATO go in there. And because uh, NATO has made their intentions absolutely clear, they want war with Russia. Well, the thing is, it's still part of Russia. Yes. That, uh, that's the insane part of all this. It's, it's one thing to go into Poland and Estonia or Latvia or any of these other uh, now independent nations but it's something totally different to try to install NATO in a part of the Russian Federation. That doesn't make any sense. Right. And that's what the Russians keep saying. It makes no sense. And because it makes no sense, and because of the, of the failure, what Russia considers the failure of the Christian churches and, and the religious community in the United States. That's why Putin is saying that we've been dominated by Satan, that we've been influenced by darkness, and that the United States has, has lost its soul. And he's appealing to the people of the United States to resist this and to go to God. And the Russian army considers this a, a sacred war that they're fighting, and the priests are out there. Uh, blessing the troops before every battle. And um, there's 140 million devout Christians in Russia. It's it, it just sad that uh, the Ukrainian people are being used as such cannon fodder. But then that makes perfect sense when you realize that part of the the globalist goal is to re reduce the world's population to fewer than a billion people. Uh, well, it's it's, they can kill all kinds of people and justify it. Oh, yeah. Makes makes their day. Mm -hmm. But I got to see wokeism back in the early 2000s when they were rolling it into Ukraine. And the Ukrainian people, this would not be possible, what they're doing in Ukraine, if the Ukrainian people had not been mind-controlled into believing this woke version of things. Mm. But they were, and it had the full force of the State Department behind it. And um, so you've got the Nazis in the Ukraine, you have the Tsarian Mafia in Ukraine, 
you have the Ukrainian people who've been pretty much brainwashed, and you have the Russians' uh, population, which is about a third of the population of Ukraine, have all moved over into the eastern part. And uh, so this whole battle is over the western part, the edge. And Poland would like to move in and take it. And I think it's perfectly possible that they will. It had been Poland historically. Hmm. There's a lot of Poles in East, in Western Ukraine. Fascinating. Well, um, Juliet, let's, let's get into, let's get back into the human trafficking thing because you had said something to me about Ukraine being uh, a, a major uh, transport hub, a major trafficking area, and it was uh, involved in this. And then you made a statement to me that so many of the American politicians know this <laughs> and were actually part of this process. People need to understand what MK Ultra and mind control and uh, what's known as the Manchurian candidate process is all about, so they can kind of understand how this is possible. Can, can you flesh that out a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of material. Well, I know MK, it's a lot of material, but. But it goes back to the, the Nazis and, and mm -hmm. World War II. And before that, when the, the uh, Germans were seeking seeking magic and seeking mind control and looking for for ways to control populations and and uh, they were trying to create god without god so um then you go way back to the enlightenment but we'll start at world war ii when the nazis were carrying out experiments on uh, all kinds of people it was not limited to to the jewish race it was it was uh, anyone they considered um difficult to control so uh uh, they did experimentations on on uh, on uh, thousands of children and uh, gypsies and just about any ethnic group that they yes, considered and, inferior. And they bred children. See that that's something that that uh, is coming into play today too, which I don't quite understand yet. But they would have. Uh, like uh, they, they took Hitler on on a boat with 40 virgin, virgins and he impregnated all of them. And they did that over and over again with their... their most desirable men, uh, fertilizing their most desirable women. And then they had like puppy farms and, and uh, hundreds of children who were later taken to Brazil, the boys in Brazil. Mm -hmm. they, they were taken to Brazil, to Argentina. So these... Paraguay, these, Paraguay. These, mm -hmm. Yes, so these these uh, United States. So these children have, have are now the Klaus Schwab's of the world, I, I would expect. Mm -hmm. But um, at the time of Nuremberg, when, when uh, Germany fell, everybody thinks, oh, well, they were all executed and hung and... And uh, all those not horrible Nazi scientists died. Well, no, they didn't. Um, in fact, I had four uncles, a great uncle, and a, and a cousin there at Nuremberg because they were all CIA agents. It was OSS at that time, all German speaking. And uh, I didn't know what they did there. I, it took me much later 
to figure all this out, but they, they were actually uh, facilitating Project Paperclip. So Project Paperclip, they, they had a show trial. They hung 12 people. We can't be sure who they were. And they took thousands of Nazi scientists and engineers and people that they, they considered would be useful to the American government and brought them to the US and reintegrated them, gave them new identities, new names, um, and uh, set them up with, with houses. And, and uh, they became part of American society. And they also uh, set them up with um, the possibility of, of uh, continuing their experimentation in MKUltra, which is Mein Kampf. And ultra refers to the, the end result. It's, it's the ever evolving last third of the book of Mein Kampf. It's what comes after. And and um, so the the people that were facilitating Project Paperclip were all in the intelligence community, or military, or government, or State Department, and they put their children in these programs, which is how I got into the program. So I was sold into the sex magic program at the age of six, and uh, I wrote a book about it. I wrote Sparky Surviving Sex Magic. Because it's it's hard for me to talk about, and it, it was very painful dissecting through all these memories and trying to make sense of of the craziness. And I got a lot of help from from like uh, Kathy O'Brien and uh, her her expose, and she led me to the the uh, church hearings, the church commission hearings in Congress uh, when they were reviewing these programs, and that's where all the, the material started to come out where uh, the head Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles signed the MK Ultra funding into existence, even though it was, we had just signed the Nuremberg Code, which made it completely illegal in the United States and experimentation on children was completely illegal. They sanctioned it, fully funded it, and uh, started it up in 85 different institutions, 150 different programs in 85 institutions. And that's what they had going in 1976 when they claimed they shut it down, but uh, they haven't shut anything down. Mm -hmm. So, and when I was in it, it was it was always um, the satanic abuse uh, rotated around the worship of of Nimrod. So the big the big do every year was the Saturnalia, and the Saturnalia involved sacrifice of children. And that's that's the pine, the fires, the smell of cinnamon, the feasting, the uh, uh, pan, you know, the the fawn that plays the flute. Um, and uh, I would get hauled off to those things and drugged and then spend my time floating above myself, wishing I wasn't there. But. Um, and that's where um, LSD came into the picture because I know that the uh, CIA or a derivative of the CIA went into Switzerland, who was actually the country, uh, there was a, a Swiss um, a pharmaceutical company that manufactured LSD for the Germans to use in the concentration camps. And in fact, after the war, the uh, SAS, uh, the, the uh, 
uh, CIA whatever derivatives went into Switzerland and they bought all the LSD that they could get. They actually sent uh, people over there with sacks of cash and said, buy everything that you can get and bring it back to the United States. And so this LSD, this counterculture that we hear so much about in the 60s in uh, California and around the country, that was actually imported by the CIA as part of their mind control program. And part of that mind control program was to create a whole culture of young people that had split personalities, multiple personalities, so that they could be uh, mind controlled. And that's where the concept of uh, something called a Manchurian candidate comes in. I'm, I'm giving that very, very fast, quick, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, overview. And then I want you to flesh it out, if you would, please. Yes, thank you. That's, that's very accurate. And certainly I'm one of those people that, that was forced to develop multiple personalities. And, and it's not so much personalities as identities. Mm -hmm. It's where you are so traumatized that that you block everything related to events and times and torture and rituals and block it. It's in a box somewhere and and very difficult to access. And uh, but you wind up dragging it forward with you. And the key to controlling someone though, and 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 I I sort of wandered off the topic, but um they're always after they were always after my soul. Mm -hmm. So every session would begin and end with being spread out on a wheel and turned and turned and turned while they chanted, there is no light, there is no dark, there is no day, there is no night, there's no good, there is no evil, there is no man, there is no woman, on and on and on. And, on. and then they would get to the point where you're just about to pass out and they would say, there is only green. And that's the green of the Green New Deal, which is the obliteration of the human soul. So I suppose like the green flash, you know, at sunset. But when you're spun to the point where you, you're just so on the edge of oblivion, you see green. And, and at that moment, you can make all, all this pain go away. You can make it all stop if you give up your soul. And you do that, you wind up with a college education, a job in the senior executive service, which is where I think a lot of these people come from because you can't explain them otherwise, um, in the State Department, in the, in the uh, certainly in the intelligence services, because you'll do anything. Mm -hmm. You'll do anything. Those are the Manchurian candidates, the ones who have given up their souls. And I think you can spot them pretty easily when, when uh, they're giving testimony in Congress or they're, they're um, ranting away about... about uh, um, all the things they rant away, <laughs> things don't make any sense to me. What but, a horrible thing, Donald Trump and yeah, yeah. things like that. Yeah, and and the actresses that can't act and the singers that can't sing and the, but they're filthy rich and and supposedly, uh, you know, adored and and celebrated and and uh, no, they're rewarded because they gave up their soul and they're working for Satan and and uh, that's it. You don't give up your soul. You you 
I think uh, you live a, a very different life. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I cannot sometimes get from one of my boxes to another box, which has information I want in it, even though it's in myself because of all these, all these walls to be a long time to figure out that that was actually programmed into me. Mm-hmm. A combination well, of their programming and my defenses, but I kept my soul. Mm-hmm. You sure did. And um, in your book, Sparky, the one thing that carried you through that whole process, because you were undergoing some incredibly horrible things for a young person to go through. And I mean, at, at six years old, to be sexually abused the way you were um, is unbelievable. And the fact that your parents were part of this program uh, shows you just how deep that evil can go. Yeah, it's in but, those families. It's in, in the families. Those families. But um, that being said, how far up the uh, the power pyramid do you think this goes in the United States government? Oh, I think it goes above the top. I think there's a whole level we aren't seeing. And and um, it's but it's there and it's not they keep producing sort of like, uh, okay, we don't believe this is Joe Biden doing all this stuff or the actors who's playing Joe Biden or whatever that thing is. Mm -hmm. So they give us BlackRock. Okay, here, do you believe this? And you look at BlackRock and Larry Fink for a while, and you go, nah, nah, it's not not smart enough. And and so they'll come up with another one. But above all this is something we don't see. Mm-hmm. So I think our our best defense is also something they don't see, which is our soul and our link to to God. And uh, I think it's time we take the Bible extremely seriously. Mm-hmm. It, and and don't look at the newer versions because Committee on Foreign Relations has an entire committee, committee of scholars who are changing the Bible word by word by word. And now you have Bill Gates wanting to rewrite the Bible using artificial intelligence to make it more friendly. Well, it's not supposed to be friendly. It's mm-hmm. it's a book of directions for your soul. And your soul is a powerful thing, and grace is a powerful thing, and grace should be earned mm-hmm. it's given but you should give in return you don't just sure. take it and fly away yeah absolutely it's like the uh <clears throat> the power of discernment it, what is so important for people to understand we did a program in, on this on tuesday um the fourth of july or independence day more appropriate um we we did a program on this, and our country was founded under the Protestant Church, the Protestant Reformation Church, with an understanding that that unalienable rights, God given rights, give us the power and the ability to make bad choices as well as good ones. And that's why we are giving, given by God the power of discernment is so that we can choose through uh, logic and common sense and understanding and uh, understanding the scriptures. It gives us the power to make the right choices, but it also makes, it gives us the power to make the wrong choices. 
That is the power of discernment, and it's supposed to be that way. That's why our country was founded on the principles that it was. Yes, and why the founding fathers weren't afraid to suffer the way they suffered, mm -hmm. because they did. I mean, four of them were killed, and their wealth was taken away, their families were killed, everybody was jailed. I mean, and they never once went back on their words because it was their sacred honor and they knew there was so much more than just life life on this earth it was their sacred honor was was their soul i mean you had souls there we we have a soul the people who can't discern anything are the ones that gave them up and there's where you've got your manchurian candidates yeah exactly well um with that being part of the Human trafficking movement. Oh. How is that? How is that uh, Manchurian candidate giving up their souls, losing their souls and their identity? How does this all figure in? I, I can look at things like Pizzagate and Epstein Island and all these things that have had an incredible impact on the highest echelons of our government. And yet it's all swept under the rug. Every single bit of it is swept under the rug. That's what tells me how evil this really is. The fact that they've gotten away with this stuff and they keep covering it up. They, you know, there was a, a joke that I saw the other day. It says the one secret that will never leave Washington, and that's the names in Epstein's date book. <laughs> And that's true. And that's yet we true. know who they are. Well, sure that we do. And, and there's evidence of it. And yet uh, nothing happens. Everything goes away. Uh, uh, like the saying goes, uh, uh, don't, don't look here. There's nothing to see. Just keep going. Keep walking your way. Uh, you know, don't pay attention. There's nothing here. And yet everything is glaringly obvious that there's all sorts of things here. And uh, let, let's, you know, we'll use an example, Hunter Biden. I mean, good Lord, the guy goes to the White House last week for a visit, and next thing you know, they find uh, crack cocaine uh, in the White House. And, oh, it couldn't be Hunter. It No, no, it wasn't in the White House. It was in the visitor center and blah, 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 and they just, I mean, they can't cover up enough crap with this president. And uh, all I can say is that, good grief, you know, what a disaster we have now, and it's because we refuse to recognize evil when it's right in front of our face. Well, we might recognize it. We don't know what to do about it. But interestingly, is that uh, I think Trump and the, the patriots involved in this, and we all recognize that you cut the money off, you you cut this off because that's the only reward these people are getting. They're getting money and riches and fame and and glitz and drugs and you know, you cut that off. What have you got? And and the way you cut that off is you chop the head off the Federal Reserve. So, and that is happening. So Janet Yellen was just in China to beg for more money, but the CCP is in the same boat. 
China is falling apart. Their, their uh, upper echelons are fleeing the country. Their construction projects are collapsing. People are, are angry, justifiably so. They spend their lives saving up for an apartment and it's made out of tissue paper and falls down. Um, uh, the infrastructure projects are, are crumbling. So it's dying of its own corruption, it has no money to lend us. Um, so we're on a, I, I was just watching a film about the a sinking of a, of a ship. And there's a moment where the, where the uh, a steamer hits the side of the ship and the ship starts to list. And that's the moment everybody is thinking, oh, well, maybe it'll go back up again. You know, maybe it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it isn't okay. <laughs> Within a minute, it's on the bottom of the ocean. I think we're, we're at that point, you know, and, and, uh, Interestingly, in that shipwreck, there were a thousand passengers. Eight hundred of them went back to their cabins, and of course, then they were underwater in seconds. Mm -hmm. And the ones that survived were the ones that went up to the to the hull and figure out a way to to float off the ship when it went over on its side. And and uh, so we're there. We're we're at that moment. There is no the the Federal Reserve. Has been cut off. Their only way to save themselves was to get us in war with Russia, and the only reason that would save them is it would give give them time. We'd be distracted. We'd be sick. We'd be. They could declare martial law. They could seize our bank accounts, which they've done already anyway. And mm -hmm. and um, so we're we're on a sinking ship, and we've got to figure out how to not only how to survive, but how to preserve our country. So everyone's going to have to figure out in this how to save themselves, save their families, save their community. But we have to save our country because this country, with all its faults, all its warts, all its all its failings, mm -hmm. is the best in the world. And, and uh, the American people are still the most generous, kindest, most giving, most caring. Yeah, they've lost their way. But throughout history, God's children have lost their way. And uh, they find their way back again. So... Um, so people like you and I and and uh, others who who have been given at least some vision, I'm always frustrated. I wish God would just tell me up front what He wants. You know, mm -hmm. what do you want me to do? But no, it never works that way. It's always in no. retrospect. But it, uh, it doesn't. But uh, Juliet, that's uh, just our nature. I I pray literally every day for truth because. I don't care how ugly it gets. I just want to know what the truth really is. Yes, and the truth about evil. Evil mm -hmm. is as ugly as it can be, and it's going to get uglier. Mm -hmm. And if we don't look, we don't confront. And and in my experience in life, you know, I, I went from being a very small child, being just completely controlled by evil, because physically and mentally I couldn't do anything about it, to an adult where I was willing to face down horrible evil with the human trafficking and the, and the uh, um, horrible abuse of children that went on in, in the trafficking rings and, and, and good people always join, join me and, and always fought with me and evil does back down. Well, you know, if it doesn't kill you, which they, they did try to do, but um, you've got to face it. You've got to face it. And you'll, you'll, 
we are strong and we do have the resources. And, and as Americans, because we're cut off from other countries, we don't see how much we have. I mean, we can go to an electronics store and buy all kinds of equipment that we might might need in emergency. We can buy guns. We're, we're the only nation left that's, that's armed. And we have 8 million veterans who know how to use them. So um, we're not defenseless. We're not. If we were, we'd have been overrun, taken over, and all killed a long time ago. We're not, and uh, so that's why that's it's why so I, important. Yes, and I celebrate that's this movie because you alpha males out there, year one, of course, get out there. I mean, lead. You, you're the head of the tribe. But don't believe all this this feminine gobbledygook. It's it's still up to the alpha males to mm -hmm. to. Uh, I was watching uh, elephants being released into a, a preserve, and boy, you can spot the alpha male right away. Mm -hmm. All the other ones are like, sort of, what do we do? What do we do? And here comes alpha, you know, <laughs> and they all go into the reserve. Charges right through the middle and leads the way. Yeah, yeah, knocks knocks this gate over that was in the way, and they all wind up in the pond, and it was just glorious. So, well, you know that that comment, I uh, uh, Mary Fanning who. Uh, said she yeah. was going. She's got. She wants to have you on her program and on with John B. Wells because I've I've talked about you quite a bit. She refers to the um, modern American male as a bunch of bedwetters, uh, and I love it. I laugh at that because we 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 have a few alpha males, but we sure have an awful lot of bedwetters. Yeah, come on, guys. Why are you believing all this nonsense? I mean, don't listen to a bunch of bitchy women. <laughs> and and don't be afraid to say that's not right or that's evil when you see it and you know it's evil. That's you right. know, it's it's like the Rainbow Coalition crap and all this seventy-six different uh, genders nonsense. I mean. Anybody in their right mind knows that this is nonsense. Why in the world are we tolerating it? And, and the fact that so many people are so cowardly is the only reason that's gotten any traction. Yeah, in Moscow, they tried to celebrate Pride Month. And when they, they showed up in their freaky costumes, they got thrown in jail. And that was the end of it. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, I remember that. And of course, they... Uh, demonized Putin for yeah, so it's so terrible, that. not tolerant. Mm -hmm. One of the ones they threw in jail was was this guy who was covered with penises. <laughs> they say this is not suitable for children. They tossed him in jail, and they're right, mm -hmm. it's not. Yeah. So uh, um, thirty years ago, there's no way that would have uh, been sold to the American people. There's no way. No, we, and why it, why it is now is is beyond me. Well, it's uh, Juliet. It's a it's a process of gradualism. You know, they get you to. It, it's uh, one of those things where, you know, if they get you to accept a little, then then next thing you know, they're pushing for a little bit more. And as you've said so many times when we've had this conversation, the thing with communists is you cannot negotiate with them because as soon as they get an inch, they're going for the next one and the next one and the next one until they have the whole thing. And it's so interesting that, that they, they do not believe in God. And, and uh, I live in a, in a town 
near DC, which is which is very, very liberal. Boy, you try to mention God around here, and it's like so, so uh, I forgot where I was going. <laughs> Sorry, I lost myself. Well, um, you know, certainly oh, if, if we're not willing to stand up for what we believe in, then we'll we'll allow this sort of stuff to go on. But they're trying to invent God. So that's what the whole CERN Large Hadron Collider is about. They're trying to create a human soul and a link to God, their God. So they're creating another God. Hmm. So uh, we should, I'd love to have a discussion about um, uh, the role of God in the Bible. I, I listen to Psalms over and over and over again, and Psalms constantly refers to all the gods. Mm-hmm. So, but our God, as the descendants of Jacob, is Yahweh. Mm-hmm. But there are other gods. So are we dealing, is is this battle over our head? Truly the battle of principalities? Uh, is this the warring of multiple gods so that other gods other than Yahweh are, are trying to lure away God's people, confuse them so that they don't know who they are? That's in the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. Confuse them so they don't know their own connection. They don't know their name, the name of God. Um, confuse them so that they worship uh, like the Nicolaitans who worship Satan and, mm-hmm. and Nimrod. Or now with the modern a New Age movement, Gaia. Yes. Earth worship. Yeah. I, I think it is. I think this is, this is my opinion. This will probably drive everyone crazy. But above all these human nonsense that's going on in, in the White House and everything, you know, there is the battle of principalities, and and uh, it's it's way above us, and it's essential that we know who we are, and that we are, and that our God is Yahweh, and that that um, our role is very clearly defined to to praise, worship, appreciate, uh, uh, be moral, be. Be mindful, care for each other, love one another. Uh, it's all very clear and fairly simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very straightforward. Uh, again, that goes back to the power of discernment. We we need to be uh, willing and uh, smart enough to make uh, the good choices because we will be given the option of making the bad choices. Well, that every is day. part of the freedom. That is part of the freedom that God gave us is the ability to make good and bad choices. And he rewards those who make the right choices, but he also punishes those who make the wrong choices. And uh, that's what is so unique about the American system of government. It's based on that concept of total freedom as long as you don't hurt someone else with your choices, you have a lot of freedom to make individual choices. A lot of people don't uh, don't make that connection with our Constitution. Well, they take I, it I don't for granted. Get, well, they do. They take it for granted. I don't. I don't want to get too far. I could get into these great discussions with you. We have a lot of fun when we're doing that, but I want to. I, I want to stay on the subject of the human trafficking 
because it's so important for people to not only understand the enormity of the problem, but understand how it's being conducted, where it's being conducted, how uh, how we can help, how we can make a difference, and how your angels coalition that you're trying to put together in the United States can be a source for people if they want to help. Well, I think the time, it's it's been very, very difficult to get something started, but I think that this this film, The Sound of Freedom, and other films that are coming out and, and other things that are happening are are going to make it time to like uh, call a meeting, just like I did in Russia. We'll call a meeting, and the people that that can come and are willing to to work in their communities, I don't want anybody that isn't willing to, to work. Everybody comes and will go over uh, plans, how, how to do this, how to spot trafficking in your community, who to contact, who to talk to, how to build up a network of, of uh, trusted contacts because the human trafficking occurs at the community level. It is happening in your schools with your school boards. It's happening in your police department. It's helping happening in your uh, wherever, wherever there's security apparatus. It's happening. It's very easy to pay people off and to uh, get them to participate in trafficking. Now, I'm not talking about the the um, uh, foreign kids that are smuggled in the country. That's that's a different situation and also something that needs to be dealt with at a community level. Um, but uh, for instance, uh, every everyone you can have two people in a community who have contact with who've made contact with someone in the sheriff's department. The sheriff, you're going to do much better with the constitutional sheriffs than you're going to do with the police. Police are political. Sheriffs are independent. Um, you want to have a contact in in the uh, city government that you trust. So you you have to. You have to prepare these these trust networks. You you need someone in local media. You don't need national media. You need someone in local media that even puts out a newsletter. The person that controls your your uh, community group uh, broadcast that goes out every week. Your 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 little local newsletter. That's where you're going to stop human trafficking because you're going to spot it. You're going to contact the sheriff. You're going to talk to the to the. Um, your contact in the mayor's office, and and this group is is going to handle it at, at that kind of level. And uh, when when the groups, so you start with like 10, 10 groups around the country, maybe twenty groups in the United States. We started with ten in Russia, huge huge mm-hmm. country. Um, so once that that starts working, and they start working, and they start coordinating to do like uh, media events, which will be much easier now that that film has come out, and there is some awareness amongst mm-hmm. the media because the media is not our friend on this. The media is, is in on it, um, but uh, scheduling events and 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 community actions that coordinate between the small community groups can be done with practically no money. Just, just with some elbow grease, and uh, are tremendously effective. And then, as you as you increase in number and you network together, which which we have the capability of doing in this country, we've got Zoom, we've got all kinds of more private communications. I mean, we we can be become a powerful force that isn't terribly visible, which is actually for people's safety. And that's why we called our organization in Russia, even though it was made up of eventually hundreds of little 
tiny groups, often two or three people. Maybe they don't even have a telephone, but we called them all the Angel Coalition because then you got something powerful. You know, we're the Angel Coalition mm-hmm. instead of Irene and Doris, you know, uh, down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it works. It works. We've done it. We did it in very harsh circumstances. We can do it here. And I'm not saying the circumstances are any less harsh um, because the corruption here is very much the same. But the same mechanisms are in place. Like everyone in a community, you get a little community group together. Someone will have a nephew who's a policeman. Someone will have a connection to the to the sheriff's department that they'll go talk to. Someone knows somebody good in the mayor and these in the mayor's office. These don't have to be high level people and you don't need money to get started. So um, that's, we're going to go, we're going to go with this. And, and um, when the time is right, we'll do this. I think sometime in the next year, this is, this is going to launch. Well, uh, Julia, I, I can tell you firsthand, one of the things that uh, has always amazed me is that if you're bold enough to ask, there are a lot of people out there who are willing to help. Mm-hmm. And, yes. You know, the, the, if, if you're willing to ask, I, you know, I, I'm amazed sometimes how uh, some of the people that I get on my podcast, including you, that are people who, you know, some someone, uh, if they didn't know, would say, well, that person's, a, you know, a, a speaker worth $20,000 or $30,000 to do a program for us. They're available. Most of the people who are real true freedom fighters aren't in it for the money. They're in it to try to save our country, to save our population, to save our souls, to save the the spirit of America. And uh, they'll do it free of charge. Yes, and that's who you want. The people that will work, that aren't looking for, to be paid to work. Some Some will need to be, but... You, you start with the ones who would claw their way to you and do it anyway. And they're, they're, it's happening. It, it'll happen in the right time. Right now, there's tremendous pressure against it. As you saw with, you know, they came out with this amazing movie, which is entirely true. And uh, you've got the right press and the left press both attacking them. Mm-hmm. Like, how can you attack this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean... The, the something as good as trying to expose criminality, you would think that they would go out of their way to try to promote something that did that. Instead, well, they're attacking it. Yeah, and that's something Donald Trump has done, is to expose the terrible corruption in the Department of Justice. That's something you or I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. most people who've had any experience with the Department of Justice are aware of it. Certainly I was through the embassy system, but I couldn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. It's, and, a, uh, it's incredible. Well, um, your your group and what you're trying to do now uh, with the Angel Coalition, you talk about local sheriffs, you talk about access to local media and things like that. It, it, everything that you're saying always goes back to the same thing, and that is, all action that we take to try to save ourselves has got to start at the local level. It's got to start from the bottom up because 
I think you and I both recognize that right now our system of government is rotten from the top down, not because there's anything wrong with the system or the Constitution. It's because of the quality of so-called elected leaders that are now in place. And, and self-appointed leaders, I think, mm -hmm. look at the senior executive service. I don't know how familiar you are with them, mm -hmm. but in all my time working with the State Department, I mean, these are people that are sent out basically to ruin your programs. They're, they're highly paid. You don't know who hired them. You don't know where they come from. You don't know what their expertise is. You can't fire them, and uh, they retire with million-dollar bonuses. Who, who the heck are these people? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, like the people in the FBI that that have been um, indicted and all that, you can't mm -hmm. get rid of them because they're senior executive service. Mm -hmm. So who are they? Well, you even mention that in your book. And the senior executive service is oftentimes, you say, populated with the MK Ultra victims who sold their souls. That's my theory. It's where did these people go? Because these people were from, I mean, they were talking about the MK Ultra that that succumbed and gave up their souls, but they still came from top level families and and had connections, and then were promoted through through Ivy League schools and and uh, uh, and you know then then having on the other side met with these characters from the senior executive service who are better paid than anyone in government and. Uh, go from program to program. Go. It, this is, applies to anyone that has government contracts or government grants. They get assigned these people who, who really have power over the entire program and could have no expertise in it at all hmm. and uh, consistently seem to be there to ruin everything. So, you know, who are these people? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good question. Um <clears throat> So what um, what can we do to expose the people at the top of this program? Is there a way to expose the ones who are really the most deeply involved in it? How would we go about doing that? Uh, maybe you're going to just tell me you got to elect somebody like Donald Trump, but um, certainly we are seeing the cracks develop now in the FBI, in the CIA, in um, uh, you know the DOD and and um, and the uh, Justice Department. All these different agencies now are starting to develop a lot of cracks. How can we make this whole system, uh, as you said earlier, how can we show that the emperor has no clothes? Well, it's it's interesting. In the Satanic Bible, when when uh, Satan takes Christ or joins Christ in the wilderness, he shows him the seven mountains of culture, which I think is is also in the Bible. But it 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 is the realm of Satan. It's entertainment. It's government. It's law enforcement. It's it's. Um, construction and building it's all the elements of human society satan says these are mine and you can have them i'll give them to you join me i'll give them to you and christ says no that's the temptation of christ and and um 
at least in the satanic version. But but uh, I think these these mountains of culture, these these uh, institutions, public institutions that have been so corrupted, are all falling. And it's up to us because we're we're underneath this. This is the shift that's flipping over on its side, and we're the people who are running to get on top of this. And it's up to us standing there. We're standing there as you know, wet, naked little people. Like, what do we do? We strengthen our resolve. We strengthen our souls. We worship God. We strengthen our connection to the divine. We ask for direction, and uh, we love one another. So reach out to each other on a small level because there's there's nothing, we think of the government as the high level, but the government is out of money. It's it's uh, fighting with each other like rats in a sack. There's nothing there. It, it's, it's a game, it's um, stage props. It's not the solution. The solution is gonna come from the little people standing on the deck figuring out how to survive, as long as those people also remember that the survival of the entire country and thus the entire world depends on how well we do. And uh, and depends on us to uh, lead the way. Yes, yes, we have to survive this, this catastrophe and we have to be mindful, just like the founding fathers were, of the responsibility we have because it's like the constitution is we can't lose the constitution in this crumble of, of institutions. And that's what's being attacked constantly. They're trying to take away our rights, trying to take away the constitution, trying to take away the legal structure of the law. They're destroying the churches. I mean, the, the mobs in France are burning 12th century churches. This is horrible to watch. And, and, and uh, it's deliberate. It's, it's to take away the, the, all the foundations that we have in place to counter the mm -hmm. evil of Satan is are being attacked. And what's going to be left is us standing on this sinking ship and figuring out how to how to survive. It's sort of it's it's that dire. I mean, we are that far into this process, but we can do it. Mm -hmm. We can. And understanding that the criminal element that is now controlling much of the world they understand the the use of fear to destroy people because when you're terrified, you don't think right. You don't think correctly. You don't make good decisions. That's how they create the turmoil that uh, destroys society. And, and what you're talking about going on in France, that turmoil is a process of creating so much fear and and so much turmoil that everybody just throws up their hands and says, save me, save me. We are the ones we're looking for. We are the ones to save ourselves. And that's why I wrote the title of the program, Freedom, <laughs> Freedom is, is Not free. a Spectator Sport. It is not free. If you want freedom, you've got to work to to create it and to save it. And, and there's, that, that means you. <laughs> yes. Right. And there's cheap grace and there's real grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you said it very well. 
Well, uh, Julia, at this program, I'm looking forward to seeing this movie, The Sound of Freedom. And I will tell people this is going uh, nationwide. It's in theaters all over the country. Uh, according to what I've heard, that it's actually the number one movie in the country right now as far as att attendance. And it's because uh, this is an area that has had so little exposure but yet is so incredibly important. Yeah, it's a battle call to the alpha males. Yeah, yeah. Quit being bedwetters, guys. Yeah, uh, <laughs> go out and be badasses. <laughs> yeah, be badasses. Be alpha males. Don't be uh, be bedwetters and pansy asses. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that's it. That's it in a nutshell. Well, Juliet. Um, I don't care. I don't care if you burp and you fart and you throw you know, potato chips all over the couch. I don't care. Go be an alpha male. Exactly. And get off the couch. That's the biggest yeah, thing. Yeah, get off the couch. Get off the couch. Uh, you're going to be a speaker at the upcoming Red Pill Expo in Des Moines, Iowa. Would you uh, like to give people a kind of a preview of what you're going to be talking about at the expo? Well, Ed Griffin said he thought people were tired of hearing about MKUltra and, and that he wanted me to speak about Ukraine and Russia. So I thought about that, and I realized that to really go in depth on, on Ukraine and Russia, you have to talk about MKUltra kind of programming, which has been done in Ukraine. You have to talk about human trafficking, and you have to talk about the history of the conflict and what's really happening in the conflict. So I am thrilled to have that opportunity to pull all these threads together and, and speak on that topic. So um, you're going to hear a perspective from me that you're not going to hear from anyone else. But uh, I've been in these places. I'm in contact with these people. And... Um, I have I have my own experience to draw from. So I hope I see you there. It's oh, going to be will. a very great definitely. gathering as always. Yeah, I'm I'm looking very much looking forward to it and one of the things that um <clears throat> I will assure our our viewers and our audience if you do attend the Red Pill Expo, um believe me, you will hear and see things that you won't see anywhere else. And that's what Julia's talking about is an honest discussion. And you can you can speak very honestly because you've seen both sides of the fence. I mean, you grew up under CIA control. You grew up in a, a CIA family. You saw a lot of this stuff developing from our end. And you spent 20 years in Russia seeing how their system was, how they were struggling to try to rebuild a system that was not communistic. And your comment to me has been pretty consistently since I've known you. They can't believe that we're so easily sliding into communism when they had to fight so hard to get away from it. That's absolutely true. Yeah. And maybe if there's some... Um, some heroes and some bad guys in this, maybe they aren't the same people you think. Maybe, just maybe, you shouldn't be listening to the lamestream media. Uh, Please and, no. And, and what the kind of crap that they're trying to push down our throats. So, Julia, thank you again for being our guest. I look forward to seeing you in a few weeks in Des Moines, Iowa, at the Red Pill Expo. 
And I sure hope that our listeners go to that program, Sound of Freedom. This is absolutely uh, amazing that this movie is out there, that this resource is out there. And then after you watch it, get a hold of Juliet Engel. Uh, Juliet, will you give our viewers your uh, email address that they can contact you? Well, the best place, best way to get a hold of me is to go to my website. Mm -hmm. And if you just type in, you know, Google my name, it'll take you to julietengel.com, all one word, julietengel.com. That's where you can buy my books, which includes Sparky Surviving Sex Magic and my book about my work in Russia and, and, and time working on uh, human trafficking. And that's also includes how to, how to do the angel coalition and it's uh, angels over Moscow. So those books are there. My history is there. I've got archives of all the work we did in, in Russia. So everything is there and there's a way to contact me. So Wonderful. please do. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being our guest. Again, I look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, New York to LA, where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. There ain't no doubt.